Hello everyone and uh, welcome to this webinar again. I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and a local group called Enfield Climate Action Forum. And we're gonna look again at education and climate change. We've done a couple webinars on it, but it is an important subject because young people are the future. They're gonna face the, the climate change in a way we're not facing it at the moment. And there's a lot of concern and anxiety. So how do we approach climate change in education? Um, we've got Jenny Chapman with us today, and she's going to tell us what she does. She's very much involved in this. So, Jenny, thank you, you know, for joining us today. And maybe you can begin by just telling us briefly a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I am a biologist by training. I studied um, biology for my undergraduate. I did a master's in uh, taxonomy and biodiversity. So I've really come to all of this with just a love for nature. Um, and I've um, been in teaching sort of on and off for about seven years um, and teaching biology. And I've, I used to teach this bit of environmental science as well. Um, and I've been running the London Schools Eco Network since September uh, 2021, which I know we're going to speak about a little bit more. And I mean, you, you say you're a biologist and you love nature and all that, but what made you want to be an activist in, in climate change and take it further than just a passive interest? Absolutely, yeah. Um, no, I definitely would call myself an activist. And that's um, thanks to the values that were instilled in me in childhood. Um, I have parents who themselves have been involved in campaigning since the 70s. Um, they uh, brought me up with a love of nature. I spent a lot of time uh, pottering around nature reserves as, as a child, and they made me aware of my impact. Um, so this was a very normal thing for us to be talking about um, when I was younger. Um, obviously, that then led to me, probably <laughs> led to me then studying uh, biology and taking it further sort of academically. Um, and as I was studying my undergraduate and my master's, um, I just feel like you can't not be interested um, in the climate crisis. It is everywhere. It's It's in my mind, the most important existential threat that, that we face. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I struggle with people who aren't interested in it because I just feel like it's, it's so, so important to everyone on this planet. Okay, so you've, you've taken your interest in the schools. And, I mean, there are two ways of looking at how you could do that. One is to see how green you can make your schools, and the other is to see how it can be treated and approached in the curriculum. Um, I mean, do you address both of those issues? Yeah, absolutely. And I think schools are really important places to address this because in the same way that in schools we teach students what a healthy diet is, and we do that both through education in the classroom, but we also do it through food that we serve in the canteen. Um, schools are where students find often their role models. And I think we're very well placed as large organisations often, with complex buildings and with teams, we, we can show them how these kind of organizations can be sustainable. We can show them what an effective recycling system looks like. We can show them what uh, it means to choose to not fly. We can normalize these decisions, but that's one part of it. But as you say, additionally, we need to teach students um, these uh, values and these skills in the same way that we would teach them maths or for example, PSHE, personal social and health education. So they need to know what is degrowth, what are green careers, what is a tipping point. Um, so I, th I think you're right that schools are really interestingly placed um, to sort of act as the role models for students in how they act as organizations, but also as, as sort of educational institutions in teaching students um, facts and values, yeah. You say you have to teach them, but an interesting question is, do they teach you as well? Absolutely, yeah. I learned a huge amount from 
young people. And um, it, they, they definitely bring a perspective on how it's just so interesting to hear how they're feeling. Um, you, you mentioned at the beginning about how young people are the future. And there's a lot of concern from our young people because if we look at some of the climate models, um, there are some estimates that suggest that we've got sort of seven or so years to really bring about significant change. And if you look at a student who, for example, is in year nine at the moment, I mean, in seven or so years, they'll have perhaps um, been partway through their university career. Can't keep saying, oh, um, and you, you often hear politicians say this, unfortunately, they say, oh, look at these young people, aren't they fantastic? And they are, they're incredible. Um, well, we, and they kind of think, oh, well, we don't really need to worry about this. Look, the young people have sort of got it all under control. They're incredible. They're doing all this activism. Um, and that puts a lot of pressure on young people and also um, sort of unfairly takes the blame off those of us generations who've gotten them into this mess. Um, so that's, that's probably one of the main things that I think I've, I've learned from, from young people, but also just the perspectives they bring, um, their sort of passion for um, inclusivity and diversity is, is fantastic to see. Um, and yeah, it's just have great ideas. Okay, but when, when you're active, I mean, you can't always do it on your own, though you are, you are a force of nature, I can see. But, um, you know, you, you need a sort of network to, to, to work and help you and, and sort of galvanize what you do. And you belong to the Eco School Network, don't you? Can you yes. tell us what that is and what you do? Yeah, so it's the, yeah, the London Schools Eco Network, LSEM. Um, so this was a network set up in, in 2019 that was initially just a partnership between two schools. Um, that then was so successful that um, it, it grew to a, sort of a handful of schools in London. We had um, a sort of teachers meeting with one another, um, people like myself and other schools who were interested in sustainability. Um, and then we brought our students on board and sort of the students were, were meeting as well. Um, from there, it's just grown and grown. So um, Today, the LSEN has got about um, 60 schools involved from across the capital. Um, and the model of kind of having a sort of collaboration between students was so successful and, and staff, collaboration between students and staff. So it was so successful in London um, that uh, Dr. Jess Tipton, who set up the LSEN in 2019, replicated that model around the UK. So we now have networks in Avon and Devon, and we have networks in Mersey and Surrey. Um, all, all kind of modelled on, on the London Schools Eco Network. And that's led to them bring, now being an umbrella of, of this kind of network of networks called the UK Schools Sustainability Network, the UKSSN. Um, so it is so exciting to have this strength in numbers. And that's where I think the real um, value of, of these networks is. So what, what, what does it actually do? I mean, do, do you yeah. sort of get together and network? Do you have training courses? Do you have conferences? How does it help you do what you do in your individual school? Yeah, great question. So um, we find that schools often are all trying to do similar things. So just take, for example, a, a discussion that um, I've been having um, with schools a lot at the moment. Schools are very interested in food. The food that they serve, it's very tricky topic. It's very emotive topic. There's obvious kind of health uh, questions there alongside the sustainability questions. Um, and then, of course, safety and financial questions. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a really big, messy topic. So lots of schools are, are looking to make their school menus more sustainable. Um, and schools have done, done this in various different ways. So some schools have um, looked at introducing meat-free Mondays, which is a campaign you might be aware of. Um, other schools have ditched beef and lamb from their menus. So we've got this incredible range of schools in the network, all of whom have gone about this question in slightly different ways, 
and have therefore gained a load of experience in what works and what doesn't. So the value of the networks is bringing together all of these people and say we have a meeting that's just focused on food, which is what we did a few months ago. You've then got a huge range of people in the same space, all like-minded, all trying to pull together. To, and, and there's no competition between any of, any of our members. We all want to help one another to be as sustainable as possible. It's such a collaborative atmosphere. So all of these people who are saying, okay, well, we really struggled to introduce Meat Free Monday. We came up against these problems. And then you've got someone on, over here who's able to say, oh, well, look, this is what we tried. We did this campaign, or we, did, we wrote this kind of letter, or we, we sort of launched it in this way. So just by having um, this, this network, this community of people who have all tried to do the same thing, but in slightly different ways, there's a huge um, kind of collective knowledge um, that is extremely valuable. Um, but I mean, you talk about the Eco Schools Network, but you're also part about the a part of the UK School Sustainability Network, which yeah. is another network. I mean, how is that different from the Eco Network? I mean, what does that do? Yeah, in in a sense, it's kind of the same but bigger. <laughs> so um, it has exactly uh, sort of the same setup where students come together, and and just just to note also that um, the students lead our meetings. That the student. Um, the meetings where we have students from, say, across London in the LSEN or across the UK in the UK SSN, um, these meetings are chaired by students. The students take the minutes, so we're, we're really giving them the kind of life skills alongside this um, platform and this community of like-minded people. Um, so, yeah, within the UK SSN, we do um, similar things, just at much greater scale. So, for example, uh, we had students from across um, the UK go up to Glasgow in, in November last year and they attended COP and they had an incredibly busy few days when they were meeting ministers and they were speaking on panels and they were running workshops um, and yeah it's this, this fact that we can get students from all across the country who all have these similar values but all have these slightly different experiences um, I think it's, it's really powerful um, we run lots of events so um, often the, the events within the London Schools Eco Network, we open it up to, to people across the UK. So just as an example about food, we had a webinar recently um, speaking, we had three fantastic speakers, one of them talking about insect protein in school meals, which was fascinating. Somebody else talking about the extreme impact that removing beef from menus can have. And then the final speaker was from a school in Worthing where they had just gone completely vegan. It was incredible. Um, so just hearing from these voices, um, in these spaces is, is really valuable because then what the, the students and the staff who attend, we see this incredible ripple effect. They go back into their schools. And I say, I say, to, the, I say to my students, you are influencers. You have a sphere of influence. Okay, you, you influence your teachers, you influence your peers, you influence your friends, you influence your family. So by having these kind of UKSSM and LSEN reps who attend our meetings, they can then go into their schools. Some of these we're working with schools have sort of say 1,000 or 2,000 students with another kind of 500, 600 members of staff. So the ripple effect here is potentially enormous um, in terms of the numbers that we can reach. And um, you're also associated in a way with Transform Our World, aren't you? I mean, you talk about networking the networks and that's another sort of umbrella network as well, isn't it? Yeah. So um, the, the, yeah, the UK SSN has became such a sort of incredibly successful organization 
um, that uh, Dr. Jess Tipson, who I mentioned earlier, um, established, um, that Transform Our World um, stepped into to host the network. So they are fantastic in providing us with kind of um, the support in terms of uh, the infrastructure and a platform to do what we do. Um, they're a really amazing organization. They've, uh, they've got this incredible website. I suggest you check them out, transform-r-world.org. They've got um, some incredible campaigns. So for example, next week, on the 16th of um, June is Clean Air Day. Um, they've got incredible stuff of um, teaching resources on their website. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fantastic that we've kind of, we're working with them as well. Okay, well, let's look at um, what you do and how, how you do it. I mean, are you trying to get schools to be carbon zero? And do you have a sort of step-by-step -step strategy about how you're gonna achieve that? Yeah, great question. Ultimately, yes, that's what that's where we need to be. That's where all organizations need to be. Um, it's a difficult pathway and partly because schools are incredibly different from one another. So, for example, my school, I work at Highgate School, um, just thinking we've been thinking incredibly hard about um, how we get to um, net zero. Uh, we've got an enormous school site with lots of different types of buildings. That's going to be very different to um, a school that was maybe built in the last 10 years. So the pathway of how schools get from where they are to where they need to be is going to be incredibly different for different schools. However, what we can do is the networks is um, sort of offer ideas of how schools, what schools can do and how um, and sort of campaigns they could run or changes that they could make. Um, I think that's been really powerful recently is that in addition to bringing together students, bringing together staff, we've also started to bring together within these networks um, people involved in the operations side of things. So we've got an operations team where members of staff, um, for, for example, estates teams and bursars and um, teams involved in sort of procurement, they are now coming together um, to meet and to discuss ideas as well. So I think that's where we start to see the change, where we've got students involved and teachers involved, and then the sort of um, support staff involved. This has to come from all parts of the school. Schools are very big messy complex organizations with with lots and lots of people um and this getting the whole community behind this this sort of path to net zero is, is really important um something i think that we might talk about a bit later is also the idea of parents being involved in the kind of wider school community um because i think that's really valuable but just going back to your question about um getting to net zero um, i suggest if if any schools are interested in this they look look at a campaign called let's go zero uh, where schools can pledge to um, become net zero by 2030. Um, and on their website, they've got lots of information um, about how schools can get there. Um, um, and how do you do that? Do you do that by, by suggesting you cut emissions or by offsetting? Because there's a huge debate about offsetting is an excuse for some people not to cut yeah. emissions. Yeah, um, we absolutely must focus on cutting emissions. We cannot get to where we need to get just simply by offsetting. Um, it's, 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 just, it's just not possible to, for example, plant the number of trees we need to continue doing what we're doing. And, and, it's, and it's not just about carbon either. It's about natural resources and it's about biodiversity. You can't offset an extinction. Um, so yeah, in my mind, offsetting is not the answer. It could be in some very specific circumstances, the least worst scenario. But I'm, I'm very much um, of the opinion that we must uh, cut emissions before we even think about offsetting. Um, this is, as I've said, for schools, very, very tricky. We, and for any organization, for any individual, actually, I myself have just been um, 
doing some carbon literacy training with an organization called Future We Want. And um, that was all based, I don't know if you're aware of the book, How Bad Are Bananas, um, which is by Mike Berners-Lee. And it does a fantastic job of trying to quantify um, how different activities and different products um, kind of rank in terms of their um, carbon or, or CO2 E sort of equivalent emissions. Um, so yeah, we need people to be trained in carbon literacy. We, and, and that's, that's a very specialist task and that, that probably requires sort of, there's lots of um, consultancies that, that will work with schools to do this. Um, so you need to quantify because then you need to know where in, where in the school are your greatest emissions. Um, so is it, are your school's emissions enormous because you keep flying to Canada for ski trips? Okay, easy, there we go, let's stop doing that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about quantifying, reducing, and then if, if you've gotten to the point where you literally cannot uh, reduce your emissions any further, then yes, maybe then look at offsetting. Um, by the way, you probably won't be able to fly to Canada ski very much in the future because the snow is going. <laughs> so that will exactly. help. But, yeah. but tell me, <laughs> do, do you get involved in other issues like air pollution outside of schools, yeah. for example, and uh, get the school involved in that and the parents and develop campaigns? Absolutely. Um, air pollution is, I mean, I, I'm terrified about the climate crisis, but that genuinely keeps me up at night is air pollution in London. And actually not just in London, in, in most cities in the UK and in Europe and actually around the world, it is shockingly bad. Um, there's a fantastic campaign called Address Pollution. Um, if, you, if you just uh, find their website, perhaps we could um, put a link in, in, in the um, podcast. Uh, you can just type in your postcode and you can see which World Health Organization limits are being breached in your area. Um, and it's absolutely terrifying how bad this area that we're all breathing every day and the, the statistics are just terrifying about the number of lives lost, the quality of life um, that's affected and particularly for young people. And I saw a fantastic campaign that was actually um, part of uh, an air pollution campaign in Manchester sort of showed a, a glass of dirty water and a glass of clean water. Um, and it was saying, well, look, 150 years ago, Manchester got clean water. We wouldn't be drinking this dirty water anymore. So why are we still breathing dirty air? I think the fact that it's invisible is 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 the concern here so um yeah but i i am very interested in air pollution and that's something that the london schools eco network have done a lot about um and as i mentioned clean air day which transform our world the sort of umbrella organization uh, leads on is coming up on the 16th of june so a couple of examples of what we've done um last term a few months ago in the spring um, I ran a workshop with Dyson, who do a lot of work about sort of indoor and outdoor air pollution. And the students came together from across London. And they had a fantastic sort of workshop led by some Dyson engineers um, to try and design some solutions um, to sort of scrub the air of, of air pollution. But um, me personally, I think that this, we need to stop the pollution being released in the first place. And the vast majority of the pollution in London is from road vehicles. And then there's some issues with incineration. So, um, what we've tried to do as um, the London Schools Eco Network is um, host campaigns in our individual schools where we ask um, parents to not drive to school. We ask staff to not drive to school. Um, and we've done that by sort of handing out leaflets. But also you have to think about the positive side of this as well. So for example, in my school, uh, we ran a campaign recently where um, students who cycled to school or scooted to school got rewarded with um, a lovely warm pastry. So it's about reinforcing positive behavior. And then gently trying to explain to those people who um, 
are part of the problem why why we want that behavior to change so um next week on the 16th um, i'm really excited that some of my students here have been involved in actually along along with dyson they have constructed these beautiful air pollution monitoring kits and they've done all of the soldering they've made it out of these components and they've done all the programming and you turn these kits on and it they've got two um really clear lights and you hold it up on a road and you can see the color of the lights it kind of goes red amber um, green and you can in real time visualize the pollution and I think the fact that we've got students involved and they've learned the skill they kind of learned the engineering skills they've learned how this is coming together they can then go onto the road not onto the road <laughs> onto the pavement obviously um, and they can actually see in real time the impacts that our camp campaigns are having so we're really hoping to see a difference between um, the, the kind of normal day of people driving to school and then we're asking people to not drive to school um, on clean air day and uh, yeah it's exciting that our students have actually constructed something uh, that can hopefully gather the data to show that hopefully yeah. fingers crossed. Okay I mean listening to you talk it seems that a lot of your activities that you're talking about are ancillary activities you know campaigning getting people to do this and that but how do you sort of get it into the curriculum I yeah. mean you can do all these things and the curriculum doesn't address climate change yeah I mean how do you do that and are you able to do it excellent question um yeah everything I've said so far is kind of it requires there to be uh the sort of support within a school and, and staff who who have the kind of interest and the passion to run these campaigns um so what we do really need uh, is for addition additionally to that um, these subjects to be in the curriculum and only a couple of um, well, a, about a month ago the Department for Education published a new climate change strategy which you can find online um, which goes some way to um, talk about getting this more into the curriculum um, so it is at present just in the curriculum but really kind of tokenistically um, so for example myself I teach biology um, it is mentioned in the GCSE curriculum in a, in a very kind of uh, I don't know, not in a particularly in-depth manner. Um, and it's only very briefly mentioned in the entire A-level syllabus that we teach. Um, so yeah, I also, I also think it's really important that climate, the climate crisis isn't just confined to science lessons and geography lessons, um, because this is a crisis in our communications. This is a crisis in our understanding of risk. This requires linguists, this requires mathematicians. This is not a science problem per se this is an engineering problem so i'm really there's so many organizations um, that are working to uh provide resources and campaign for this to be more embedded uh into the curriculum and that is slowly changing i don't think it's changing as fast as it needs to though well, yeah, um it's interesting what you said there about it being not just in the sciences because um, there is a view by some people that you, you don't need a designated climate change teacher. Mm. That is the wrong way to do it. You need every teacher to take on the climate change agenda and you yeah. need to work in teams. Yeah. Now that's harder, isn't it? Because it takes more time and it takes more teacher time and you need a really sympathetic head who will free up that teacher time. Mm. Um, I mean, how does that problem confront you? you you've understood these challenges extremely well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think this... It's, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, nature is essential for all life. It's, nature is a part of all subjects. And, the, and, and I, when I talk about the climate crisis, what I really mean to say is, is the nature and ecological crises. Um, 
So I think we really need to normalise in all subjects talking about this. It needs to be part of education in a really genuine way. Um, but as you say, staff need training in this. The Department for Education strategy does go some way to suggesting um, that sort of some training is needed for some staff. But this is a crisis. We need to act like this is a crisis. This needs to be addressed in a really holistic way. And yeah, I, I, I believe that all staff need to have adequate and appropriate sort of level appropriate training um, in kind of the basics of what the climate crisis is and how to talk to young people about it and what we can all do both in and out of our subjects. Because as you say, this isn't just about teaching it in the classroom. This is about a really holistic approach to um, working with our young people. And we shouldn't just say we're, we're educating them. As you said at the very beginning, this is very much kind of two-way conversation. We're all, all in this together. So we need staff on board, we need parents on board, we need students on board, but then we need governors and alumni and the whole school community really on board as well. And I mean, do you have a, a good case study of where it's worked well in the curriculum at all? Oh, yes. Um, I know some fantastic uh, modern foreign languages teachers who are using some great resources, some articles and some podcasts, um, looking at the climate crisis in their lessons. Um, I know some fantastic politics and economics teachers um, who have looked at theories such as tragedy of the commons in relation to the climate crisis. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely it can be done in a really genuine, uh, impactful way across the whole curriculum. And what's interesting as well is that, uh, and other people have said this, that when young people get involved in climate change, they get involved passionately, uh, they want to know everything in detail, they want to be activists, and they then educate their parents. Mm. Do you find that happens as well? Yes, definitely. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before about um, how we are all um, sort of, a, we, we all have a sphere of influence. I know uh, that I've um, influenced my parents in some ways about sort of my choices to not fly, for example, um, in the same way that they have massively influenced me. Um, but yeah, thinking about <laughs> people who have, um, younger people have relationships um, with their parents. This is, there's actually been some research that was, that was published very recently on um, weforum.org um, that shows that this kind of pester power, um, if we can get students thinking uh, in a sustainable way, then that does kind of filter up to their parents. And uh, this powerful because if you think in a school that you've got a school of a thousand students so let's say on average um there's sort of a thousand families obviously that not these numbers aren't going to be um exact um and those families say an average of two parents those parents are going to work in organizations across the world so the fact that we can influence students and instill these values in students they can then go home and say okay how about we don't eat anymore Let, let's have some sort of plant-powered meals then that's if that can then influences those parents then they those parents might go on and influence their friends and their colleagues so i think this is one of the reasons why i feel that schools are so well placed um, to be kind of epicenters of, of change um, in our communities i think there's this potential for ripple effect is enormous yeah Okay, well, we're getting very close to the end now, but tell us, um, I mean, how do you see your network growing and how would you like it to grow in the future? Great question. I mean, ideally, I would love to reach all schools in London. That is thousands of schools, so that, that is obviously um, a big challenge. Um, but I do all of this um, voluntarily alongside teaching a full timetable uh, as, a, as a biology teacher. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's 
that that would be my dream um but that i'm sure that would require uh, a few more hours in the day um but i yeah i would i would love for all schools in london and and throughout the uk and throughout the world um to really act like this is a crisis and to really step up in terms of um as we said before quantifying their their sort of carbon and environmental footprints uh, minimizing where they can um and just taking the action as soon as possible do you at all try to link your schools up with, say, schools in the global south where they suffer really badly from climate yeah. change now, this moment? We do try on a kind of ad hoc basis. We have um, where we have members uh, within our networks who do have kind of quite informal links with other schools. We have had some cases where we've had students from around the world attend our meetings. Um, it's, it's very tricky <laughs> logistically. Um, that's definitely something that, that I'd love to do more of, yeah. Okay, so if, if anyone wanted to find out more about what you're doing, more about the Eco School Network, more about your work, um, how would they do that? Where would they go? So um, you can find out about the London Schools Eco Network on the Transformer World website. And there you can also find out, about, find out about the other networks across the UK that are part of this umbrella network, the UK SSN. Um, we're on Twitter um, as London Schools Eco, London as LN. Um, and if anyone wants to get in touch, if, if you know of organisations that would be useful to partner with or would uh, be able to provide funding or schools that might be involved, um, interested in getting involved, you can email london at ukssn.org.uk. Okay, well, thank you. I mean, that was really, really interesting and a great interview. And you're obviously doing a lot of work. And as you say, you're doing it voluntarily on top of your own work. And so that's an amazing task. So, you know, I, I hope it's really successful and I'm sure people will find it interesting. I know locally where I am, we're trying to work with schools and we're trying to develop a competition with schools um, to actually address climate change. So I think what you said and, and the networks you've got to support will interest them. So Amazing. thank you. Well, so, so thank you very much for doing this. <laughs> oh, thank been, you for your incredibly insightful uh, questions. It's, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Okay, well, thank you. Anyhow, um, you know, thank you again. And we'll uh, finish this interview now. Mm -hmm.